0: Acts 17, 1 through 15. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks.
1: And a great many of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd.
2: Good morning, friends, family. Good to see you. Lord, help me not to fall off this stage. It's going to take some getting used to. How are we post-freeze? I'm looking at faces. Thumbs up. Who had pipes burst? Raise your hand. A few of us. Okay. Welcome, guys. Come on in. Let us know how we can serve you as a church. Let us know if you have neighbors. This is going to be... A weeks and even months long process as we all know as we recover from another wallop. Uh, we love you. We want you to know the love of Christ and so we want to serve you. Um, okay. But I'm not preaching on that in reaction to that. If I preached on uh, different events that come and go every week we'd just be preaching on event after event after event. And we're walking through Acts. We're back in Acts after the first six weeks in Psalm 23 taking one verse at a time and we're here in Acts 17, as you know, as, as Gabriel just read. So if you haven't turned there, if you have a Bible, do. And if you don't, that's fine. I'm titling this sermon, Reason Ablaze. It could be titled, A Tale of Two Cities. This is a picture of the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago just lighting the ancient world up with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So made me think of a movie that I've, uh, pretty gritty. So I'm not necessarily recommending it from the pulpit, all right? But it's called Man on Fire, Denzel Washington. It's a little bit older. And the plot line is essentially set up by the fact that he's a, he's a Marine. He's been out of the service for a while, and he's, he's had to deal with PTSD and other, other things that he's seen on the battlefield. And he's, he's resorted to the bottle, and he's in a bad way. And so he's uh, turned in on himself. And he gets this offer by this rich uh, Mexican family that lives in the district in Mexico City, to come be the personal bodyguard of their little daughter, Peta. She's 10 or something. And because they've had uh, drug lords that have been threatening to kidnap Peta and hold her for ransom. And so he becomes her personal bodyguard, sort of reluctantly at first, but then there's a bond that forms between them, a really strong bond. And then they succeed in uh, in capturing her. And it's, 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 it's Creasy. His name's John Creasy, played by Denzel Washington, versus, like, carloads of gangsters that that unload on him and he and he makes a few of them pay uh, but but they get away with he wakes up you know on the street or in the ER and, and he's barely hanging on and um and she's gone and so there's this scene it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie where his friend is cre- played by Christopher Walken I almost say Chris, Chris <laughs> creepy Chris <laughs> he's he's such a great character and he plays a great character in this movie and he knows Creasy better than most people, and, and there's a Mexican police officer in the room that's smoking a cigarette, and he's there in the waiting room in the hospital, and PETA's gone, and Creasy's on, in ICU, and the Mexican police officer and, and Christopher Walken are talking, and, and the, the police officer, um, he, he, asked, he said, I want to try to help, but I need to understand him better. What was PETA, the girl, to John Creasy? What did she mean to him? And, and this is what this is what Christopher Walken says. He says, she showed him it was all right to live again. And then the police officer says, and the kidnappers took that away? And then Creasy, and then Creasy's friend, Christopher Walken, just delivers one of the best lines in film. He says, and they are gonna wish they had never touched a hair on her head. A man can be an artist in anything, food, whatever. It depends on how good he is at it. Creasy's art is death, and he's about to paint his masterpiece. And sure enough, as the movie continues, Creasy gets back to health and he goes after, as a one-man army, these men, and one by one, he takes them down. And um, it's riveting gritty, so again, disclaimer, pastoral disclaimer, <laughs> don't, definitely don't let your kids watch it, um, but he's, he is, as the, movie, as the movie says, he's a man on fire, he's a man set ablaze with a single-minded purpose to rescue this girl, but he's also, as a man on fire, he doesn't flail, he's calculating, he's extremely reasonable, he's very careful, he knows the tools of his trade, and that's really what we see here in the ancient world 2,000 years ago as this man who was Saul, who was throwing Christians in prison and an accomplice at the very least to murder, uh, who was opposed to God while he was trying to serve God because he was trying to serve God in his own strength and follow the law himself and did not think that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world, thought that indeed he was worthy of being crucified. Jesus assaults him. You ever heard that say that Jesus is the gentleman he, uh, he won't come in unless you invite him. Well, Paul didn't invite him, my friends. Thank God that that's not necessarily true. He invades. He calls us to himself. And he knocks Paul down on the road and blinds him and says, Why are you fighting against me? I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. I am, I am the Son of God and the living God. And, and Paul is never the same. He's a man on fire. He sets the Mediterranean world ablaze. But what we see here, so he's full of the Spirit, but he's also very, very well grounded in the Word of God. What we see here in both, so if you can imagine, he's attuned, he's full of the Spirit, he's attuned to and sensitive to the Spirit. He's just been told in the chapter previous not to go up into Upper Turkey. So instead, they go 400 miles west and south into what we know as Greece, into Macedonia. And last week in our house churches, we looked at uh, the Philippian I think for two weeks, we looked at chapter 16, and the, they end up in Philippi, which is sort of northeast Greece. And then here in this text that Gabriel read, they're down in um, Thessalonica first, and then they pop down from there to Berea. And then next week in our house churches, we're going to see him go into Athens, where his spirit is provoked at how lost people are and how much glory is being robbed from the living God. And he can't wait to burst forth and to tell them in a way that they can hear the gospel, the glorious news of of Jesus Christ, that God has saved us in Christ. But here we see a man in words sort of that pepper this text. First he goes to Thessalonica and then down south to Berea. But in both cases, he's reasoning with them. He's explaining from the scriptures. He's proving from the scriptures to them as he lays out this. It's a judicial word. As he lays out this case for three Sabbaths in a row, With proof after proof after proof, reason on fire, reason ablaze, reason rooted in the word of God, set aflame by the power of the Holy Spirit, showing these people that Jesus is the Messiah that has been prophesied from before the foundation of the world. And he indeed is the only way to be saved. And he has done it all. He has made the way straight for us. And Paul is doing this, not not flailing but rooted in the Scriptures and explaining and reasoning. And so we see, a, we, re, we see reason set ablaze, and we see a tale of two cities. The Thessalonians don't react. People come to Christ, don't they? And we'll get to this, but they don't react so well. They essentially run Paul out of town. Bereans, not so much. We'll look at that. But the first thing I, w- I just want to say is, looking at Paul, we want to be able, like Paul, to prove from the Scriptures, to be well-grounded and versed in them, to be able to prove and explain to people, to give them reasons to believe. To explain the gospel from the scriptures, to make our case. And I just want to ask, just in this first point, to me and to us, can we share the gospel? And to really just take a few minutes to kind of run through some of the texts that Paul probably probably hit on. If you want to start, he might, may or may not have, but you can go all the way back, even before this, but certainly to the first sort of implicit but clear, if you meditate on it, mention of the gospel, that Jesus is coming. The waymaker, the one who will bring sinful man back to God by becoming sin, a sin sacrifice in our place. He is coming. The first kind of clear whisper of that we see is in Genesis 3.15. And Paul may have well started there. How God made all things well and they were all good. And sin did not exist in the human heart and he made us for himself. But we rebelled against him and, we, and creation cracked. Just as we cracked and were severed from God and his presence. But right in the middle of that curse, God steps into that curse with a promise. It's the first promise of the gospel. And he says to the serpent who has deceived the man and the woman, he says, he says, I will put, he says, hatred or enmity is the first word in the Hebrew and in a lot of English translations. Hatred or enmity will I put between you, the serpent, and the woman. In other words, I'm going to be superintend this process. This has happened, but I'm in control of it. I'm going to put this hatred between you and kind of the, the rest of the history of the world until Christ returns is going to be characterized by this war between the serpent and the woman and between your seed, your children, and her seed. There are only two races in the world, okay? Those that are the seed of the serpent and those that are the seed of the son who would come, whose name is Jesus, right? And you have to be born again by faith into that second seed, don't you? By the faith in God's promise, which is Jesus. And so he, he lays this out and he says, just as the serpent will crush the heel of this son of the woman, but this son of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And one of the things, one of the many things, we could unpack that for the rest of the sermon, I'm not going to, that you see in that first whisper of the gospel that Paul may have used here to prove over three Sundays, over three Saturdays in the Sabbath, in the, um, in the uh, synagogues on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, to the Jews that Jesus indeed is that promised Messiah. Could have been Genesis 3.15. But one of the things you see is with the same, in the same place that the, the seed is struck right here on the heel. His heel is going to be crushed. Okay? In the same place that he is struck, he will use that very thing. You use the heel when you crush the head of a serpent, don't you? He'll use that very place where he was struck to defeat the enemy. Not, not to die a death that is unfortunate, that wasn't planned, uh, to, to end a failure. No. In the perfect plan of God to use our evil and sin to defeat Satan, the power of death, to pay for sin, and to to win the keys to hell for us so that he becomes the way. The very place where he is struck by the serpent is what? The cross. And that very thing he uses to crush the head of the serpent. So we see that in Genesis 3.15. We even see it in the same chapter. A few verses later, it's easy to miss, but uh, when God, instead of moving, He gives them a promise, and then instead of moving, you know, wiping the slate clean with Adam and Eve and, and destroying them, He He has a tender mercy on them, and they try to cl- we try to clothe we try to cover ourselves in our sin. Maybe God won't see. Maybe others won't see. I'm going to look nice. Maybe God won't see my sin. I'm going to put I'm going to put leaves on my nakedness. That doesn't work. It's pitiful. It looks terrible. He kills an animal and he covers them. It doesn't say that he kills an animal, but he covers them in skins. The word in the Hebrew is leather skins. It, what's implied is that he's, he's killed an animal. Blood has been shed. Blood of something that did not deserve to die has been killed to cover their curse and their wickedness and their evil and their rebellion. This is a picture of how this gospel that's been whispered five verses before is going to come to pass. He, like a father, clothes them himself. These people who have just ruined the universe and who, who mean that... His son will come by choice, but will come to save us one day at infinite cost to himself. He clothes them like a father. He puts uh, the skin of of something that didn't deserve to die on them to to cover their nakedness and their shame. Um, So that's another picture. And if you fast forward to Genesis 22, this amazing picture of the one through whom the promise to bless every family of the earth and renew creation is going to come. Abraham and then Isaac, the son of promise. Not through Abraham's effort, but through the word of God, through his promise, will the creational renewal come. Isaac represents that. It's through Isaac that the Christ will be born. What does God do? He says, He says, I want to I wanna make sure that you love me more than anything. Sacrifice him to me. Put him on the altar. Little known fact, the Jews think that typically that Isaac was not a little boy. He was not Seth's age. He was probably closer to my age. He was probably in his mid-thirties. Okay? about the age that Jesus was when he died on the cross for us. Mount Moriah is where it happened, same mountain that the temple was later built on, the place where sinful man meets God through sacrifice and peace is made through the death of an innocent. So he takes his precious, beloved, promised son Isaac, and he puts him on the altar, and God says, wait, I can see now that you love me. I never intended for you to kill this boy. The Lord will provide, and that's what the mountain is named. On this mountain, it is said, on this mountain the Lord will provide. A son will come. Son will not be spared. He will die to save us. So you see, already we can't even get out of Genesis before we are seeing Christ after Christ after Christ prophesied. Then you come to Exodus, the next book, the Passover. And to condense it, you see that this slave people who are an idolatrous, rebellious people, but God has chosen them. He has chosen them to be His own. He has called them even My Son. He allows them, to pulls them out of slavery into a promised land to be His own people. Um, through the blood, the shed blood of the firstborn, okay? Of an innocent lamb, okay? And if that covers them, if they obey the word of God by faith that points to this, this young lamb must be, uh, not a bone of his must be broken, but he must be slain in your place and nothing of him can be left by morning. Whatever is not eaten by the family has to be thrown into the fire and totally consumed. Only if that happens can that family go free, and free they go, and God pulls them out of slavery into freedom. That's a picture of the Christ. John applies that to Jesus and says, not a bone of his was broken on the cross. And what is he doing? He's saying, that's from Exodus 12. He's saying Jesus is the Passover lamb. The blood of lambs never took away a single sin, not in all the sacrifices, never. God is just. a, A woolly quadruped cannot take away your very real and my very real guilt and sin and evil before a holy God. It was a picture Of the one who would actually, the book of Hebrews tells us, right? Who would actually come and take away our sins and what? Give us his righteousness and pull us into the family of God through his standing. This is my son, God said of his beloved at at the baptism. My beloved or the Greek could also be translated the beloved. This is his identity. He is the beloved one of the father. You get that by coming to him by faith. So we we see that in... Um, the Passover, and then we see it again in everything that drives through the rest of the first five books of the Bible, all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, the way that the law is given, the way that even Israel is, is set up, is that Israel is in, always in camps in the wilderness around what? Say it a little louder. Tabernacle. The tabernacle is the temple on wheels. You can pack it up and go. You can set it out. And that's where, again... That's the thing that makes the people of God work. It's not, the law is given with all of these priest tabernacle sacrifices spelled out over the course of multiple books. The law is not given just in a vacuum. Oh, I hope you can keep it. That's not the law. The law includes at its beating heart a system by which the guilty can come before God and an innocent can die in their place so they can keep being God's people. Do you see that? Literally, Israel encamps around the tabernacle, and guess who camps around the tabernacle first? The priests. The priest is the one who goes into the holy place before God and is not destroyed, exactly according to his word, and by sacrifice of an innocent makes a way for a guilty people to be God's people. Do you see how Jesus comes along, and what does he say in John? Destroy this temple and I'll, and I'll raise it up again in three days. I am the tabernacle. I am the priest. I am the sacrifice. And so all this points to him. You know, Deuteronomy 21:22, "Cursed is he who hangs on a tree." And then that sort of picture kind of explodes in the prophets. We see Isaiah 53, which is it's like, are we reading a gospel here? I love taking Jews to this. We take our Jewish rabbi friends to this, and they just they really don't have an answer. But a few verses from Isaiah 53, written 700 years before the Christ stepped on into the earth in the fullness of time, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah says. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, he was a man of sorrows. And on that cross, everyone said, he's being cursed for his own sin. It's the exact opposite of what was happening. He was being cursed for our sins. They said, hey, come down if you're the son of God. And the very truth was that because he was the son of God, he wasn't coming down. Because if he had come down, we would all be headed to hell and securely deposited there forever to, be, to have the wrath, the just wrath of God upon us. But Jesus did not come down. Can you imagine the temptation? First of all, the choice to go after us all the way to death, but to have the temptation to have the ability at every second of that excruciation to get off, to call angels to his help, and to leave the pain. It wasn't just what we saw. It was the white hot wrath of God that he endured hell experience for each of us on that cross. He said yes every second during that excruciating pain for you. That's encapsulated and prophesied in this book of Isaiah. And Jesus comes along and he fulfills it. And the big picture is this, right? And this is all stuff that Paul would have been unpacking. Because I have 30 minutes, but he had three days. <laughs> you know, he had three Sabbath, three Sabbath gatherings. And so it's this, that we're born in Adam. When we're born, we're born in Adam dead on arrival. Because he represents us in the flesh. We're, we're born opposed to God. I didn't have to teach any of my kids. We never have courses on disobedience. We never have courses on saying no. We never have courses on being selfish. You don't need to teach children that. There's a reason for that. We're born dead on arrival. We're born focused in on me. I'm the king. Everything revolves around me. I'm the planet. You know, I'm one of the moons of Pluto, and yet the whole universe revolves around me. This is the way we're, that's, there's something wrong at the core of who we are. Biblical story is the right story, but yet God loves us desperately, and so he did something amazing. So we're born dead on arrival in, represented in the first Adam children of the serpent, but God and his great love for us at the right time came, and he sent the second Adam. Adam disobeyed at the tree and everything cracked that was under his domain. The second Adam came and he obeyed at the tree, but he got cursed. Why? He didn't deserve to be cursed, he obeyed. He got cursed for you. He took your curse. He became a curse, Deuteronomy 21, 22. He became your curse, Okay? So that if you come to Christ, your sins are taken care of. And as you abide in Christ, your sin is to cause you to know that you have a Savior and to run toward him and to have sorrow over your sin, but not guilt, because that guilt has been paid for. And that is Satan trying to mess you up, trying to make you think that Christ's satisfaction, Christ's payment was not enough. That's a lie. He has done the work. He is, what did he say at the end of the cross? It is finished. He's finished the work. Come to him. Okay, so so this is our Christ. We're born in the first or the second Adam. We're either born, we're all born But to be, to have life, we must be born again by faith in the one who came for us, who's the second Adam, who came to obey where Adam disobeyed and to rise again out of death and hell into a new type of humanity. And we are represented by faith in his work in person and not our own works. And that is the only way to be reconciled to God and is the only way to peace with God and it is the perfect way. And so this is all stuff that, Paul would have been saying, and he wouldn't have stopped there. He would have mentioned, like, Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Daniel 7, which are all pictures in the Old Testament of, you know, 1,000 years before in the case of Psalm 2 and 110, and in Daniel 7, about 500 years before Jesus came. All pictures of not only uh, the one who would, the Messiah who would come and who would lay his life down for us, but what? The one who would rise again from the dead, having the keys to death and hell because he paid the price, and now to show that, His payment was satisfactory for you and for me. And to show that he had conquered death and hell for us, he rose, impervious to death, free from the power of sin. And he kept rising. Forty days later, he rose up to the seat that he owned and that we are seated with him in by faith, Ephesians 2. The throne, at the right, the power hand, the right hand of God the Father, he sits making intercession for us, his people. Okay? And we, his body, are here on earth doing his work attached to him through faith by his Holy Spirit, empowered by his Spirit, by his very Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ in Acts 16. Jesus himself is with us. It's better for you that I go. It's better right now for us. Can you believe this? I hope you can. I hope I can. It's better for us that, that Christ has gone than if you were sitting right here on the front row in person because he's in us now by his Spirit, empowering us for his work, working through us, reasoning, proving from the scriptures that he's the Christ, proclaiming Living in the power of the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit, full of contrition over sin, full of the gospel going forth from our mouth, from our hands, and from our feet. Um, and so in Psalm 2, in Psalm 110, in Daniel 7, you have this picture of the Messiah who's reigning over all creation and who's, who's, who the Father, because of his work on the cross, is making of all of his enemies a footstool for his feet. That through the church. Can you believe it? And he will come again to finish what he started. He's going to end evil. He's going to bring his people to himself, and he's going to completely remake creation. But that remaking is happening, is happening, is happening, is happening, and we're headed somewhere good, and he's coming back for us, and there's a feast that awaits. And that's going to be like page two ad infinitum of the rest of the story. We're just in page one right now. This is not as good as it gets. Can I get an amen? Thank you. After Harvey, COVID, Snowtopia, I mean, goodness gracious, okay? Okay. And these are all first world problems too, all right? Um, So this is, can you share the gospel? Did Paul? Yes, he reasoned, he explained, he proved. Let us be people grounded in the word. Um, This is some of the stuff he would have walked through, okay? Let us prove to people kindly but cogently that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the one way to salvation. Don't worry, we're going to be making a much greater effort with simple multiplicative systems to help you do that, every single one of you, and that's what I'll finish with today, okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing is be prepared for a response, good or bad. This is kind of the most, so be prepared for a response, good or bad. This is kind of the most overt thing in this text, Acts 17, 1 through 15. What we see is in these two cities, and Paul heads to Athens later, he's come from Philippi, he goes through this text, Thessalonia, and then down to Berea, he's heading down to Athens, and then he'll pop over um, to some other cities before, before heading home, Corinth, But um, we see first the Thessalonians, as he he preaches the gospel, by and large reject him. Some come to Christ. So as he, the word of God never returns void. Whatever, whatever, let us be people who are scattering seed. Even in rejection, God is going to cause some seeds to take. It happens here in Thessalonica. But for the most part, they reject him. They don't, he's reasoning, but they've already made their minds up. And for whatever reason, they reject him. Okay, they've had these preconceptions and they stick to them. Okay, they run him out of town. The Bereans receive him. I think one of the points here is that, again, what I've just said, we can't, we, we don't get to choose the field. God's put you where you are to be a person and a people. He, he has put us where we are to be a people who go out and to spread the seed of the gospel and to proclaim it. To be filled with his spirit, grounded in his word, to be proclaiming. Sometimes we're going to get run out of town, guys. I maybe just be talking about one relationship. You are going to get run out of town. Yay, rejoice, great is your reward in heaven. That's in Matthew 5. I'm not making that up, right? That's what Jesus says. He doesn't say, yea, rejoice, enjoy pain. It's a good thing. No, pain's an evil, but you have a great reward coming. Okay, Jesus is very logical. Look forward to the fact that you have amazing things coming. God is a great accountant. Nothing is overlooked. Do you know that a cup of cold water offered to someone who needs it in the name of Christ, he notes down in his notepad, and you will get a reward for? Rewards are not preached nearly enough in the church, and that's partly on me. I'm a preacher. We're going to start preaching them more. Okay? It matters how we live by faith in Jesus Christ. It matters. God is in charge of the field, but we need to be scattering. Paul was. He was run out of one town, but the others, the Bereans, set the example. They, they don't just, they're not fideists. You ever heard that word, a fideist? We're not fideistic. We're not fideists. A fideist is someone who just believes without reasons. That's stupid. That's stupid. Don't do that. The, the Bereans are a great example of someone who they consider the evidence that Paul's giving them, and they take it to the Word, and they examine the Word, and it makes sense to them. They see what he's saying is true, and so they believe on the reasons they are given. This is scriptural. It is right. It is good. We are to love God with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our bodies and all that we are, and they do that. It's wonderful. It's very scientific. What do they do? They consider the evidence, and they let the evidence lead them to the proper conclusion, and that is Jesus. Beautiful. So, um, the one question, though, is, are we, as we, we want to be a people who go out, grounded in the Word, filled in the Spirit, but are we prepared for both responses? First of all, are we prepared for a negative response? Um, We were at a, we were at a murder mystery 80s dress-up dinner last night for our block, and yes, it was everything that you have in your minds now and more. The sleeves were the puffiest I've seen in, how long has it been, 30 years, and the hair was side pony and frizzy. Robin had a crimper. And boy, yeah, you have, she has her hair tied behind her head for a reason today. If you want to see something beautiful, ask her to take it out later. It's crimped to the nines. And uh, we all had, all the dudes had tuxes and wigs on and Ray-Bans, and it was, it was pretty fantastic. Um, but, you know, thinking, and by the way, Cheryl Crisp was uh, revealed to be the murderer at the end of the night, and so, which is a perfect plant because she's the sweetest person on earth. She's with the kids serving, serving us right now, with the kids teaching them and, and worshiping with them and, and with her husband. They live on our street, and so they were there, and she was the murderer, so it was great. But the uh, point is, I just started thinking about that in light of this, and if, the fact that like your, your tendency, what you desire when you go to a party like that, was mine last night, it's normal, even good, but is to be liked by everyone. We knew about half the people there, and we were getting to know the others better. And you want to be, you know, if it's about you, then your goal is to make sure and have an affinity with every single person and, and try to uh, keep the peace and make sure that they think well of you and, and so on and so forth. But if, if I am marked by the person of Christ and that uh, it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, then my, my goal is to love them so well to let the love of Christ flow through me to them. And it's not about making sure that they like me and doing what I can to make sure that happens. It's about loving them in Christ and sharing the person of Jesus Christ with them. Not just one night, that would be weird, right? Just in an 80s dress-up night, you're like preaching the gospel. No, but my goal with each of them is to connect with them and to see, to, to proclaim Christ to them, to have them into our home, to share the gospel, to, to know them well enough when they're hurting to come up alongside of them, but all for that they might know Jesus. That they might know the one way to salvation and be alive in Him by faith. And so, what that's gonna mean is, am I prepared for some rejection? Because if it's just about me, then I can do a pretty good job of making sure everybody likes me and thinks pretty well of me. But some people are going to reject Jesus. And if I'm not only associated with, but owned by, I'm a doulos, a slave of Jesus Christ and His brother and His friend and the Son of God. And He's my King and my Creator. But I am owned by Him, okay? He gets to call the shots. And my agenda, a good agenda, is that they might know Christ, and some are going to reject me. Am I ready for that? Okay, am I ready for that? And, and taking it up a notch, right? Um, and that's going to happen. Taking it up a notch, you know, this, it, it might be more than just personal. We're getting to the place in our country where, and this isn't our country, but we are getting to the place in our country where persecution of Christians is going to be more and more. It has been. It's going to be ramped up and up. In Canada, this past week, apparently a, a pastor was jailed for calling his congregation to, to gather and to worship. You know, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's God's word, and then man is telling you, stop. And you might have comments about that. Point is, he, according to the scriptures in his conscience, called his congregation to worship, and they jailed him for it. That's coming. More of that's coming. Um, and so are we ready for that? Um, would we be willing to go to jail for the one who went to hell for us? Um, some will accept, though, and so are we ready for those that do? Uh, what do we do with someone who's believed on Christ? You know, is that the end of the journey? No, it's the start, right? How do we, we're called not to make converts, but to make disciples, to scatter the gospel seed and then to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded, right? So how do we do that? Well, I want to tell you, okay, you may know a lot of you are making disciples, but as a church, we're going to be face forward into being disciple makers, going out, praying for the lost, developing relationships, sharing Christ with them, seeing people come to Christ by his power and then discipling them and having a simple system that really we push all our chips into making disciples do not put a period at the end of that making disciples who make disciples and I'm going to finish with why that's so important making disciples who make disciples planting house churches out of that doing justice okay that's our strategy now so we're going to learn together um not to be been convicted over COVID over the past 12 months a lot of time for introspection and stopping and going, okay, this is essentially a replant. Do we just want to get right back to the way things were? Are we, are we out of step with God's word at all? Really feeling like repentance, Lord, for being a church, not through our intention, but practically, who's really focused on trying to get people in. Nothing wrong with saying, come join us. There's nothing wrong with that. We should be doing that. But if our chief method of reaching people is come in, that's not what Jesus said. He said, go Go out. Go make disciples. So being a people who come in to go out, being an expulsive people, being a people who are like men shot out of a cannon, and I'll finish with a story there uh, in a few few minutes at the end of of this time um, on a guy who was basically literally a man shot out of a cannon, Um, but being like people shot out of a cannon by the power of the Spirit, grounded in the Word, who go make disciples, Um, we're building Okay, we're building a system around that, and we're going to be turning the key on that real soon, okay? And so, um, gathering in our house churches, making sure that every single one of you that's part of this body is in a discipleship group of three to five, same gender, um, the first iteration will be us discipling one another, being discipled, and we have, we have word-based, prayer-based, obedience-based, by faith, um, sharing our faith-based, simple, sort of, um, training wheels, guidelines, helps for you for that, for all of us to be doing that together. The first iteration will be us. Every iteration after that will be people that you're sharing with that are coming to Christ. That becomes your D group for the next year, two years, okay? And let me explain to you, and we'll have other helps, like we'll have a list of top 100 people in your life that are lost that we begin to pray over, um, reach out to, little, little helps like this. Um, and don't worry, we're going to walk with you. I know 100 people sounds like a lot. Promise you, God's put at least that many in your life that don't know Jesus. How are you stewarding that? But acronyms like Bless, we're gonna we're gonna help work that in as a as something to help you. Um, just begin by praying. B. Be. Begin by praying over this list of people that God's put in your life. Begin by praying for people that God brings to you that don't know Him. Could be someone checking you out at the grocery store. It could be a barista. It could be a family member. It could be your next door neighbor. Begin by praying. Listen, L. Listen. Don't for, you don't have to have all the answers. It's not about all the answers. Listen to them. Get close and listen. Ask them questions. Um, eat with them. E. Eat. eat with them. Invite them into your home. Go out to a meal. Listen some more. Fellowship. Eat. Um, and then S. This, the first S is just serve them. Serve them in some way. Now that you kind of know them. And then then the final S. Share. And, and so we're gonna have helps like that as we move out to disciple. We're gonna do. I'm stealing this phrase from Kevin Phillips of Fam, but we're gonna do what's called shoulder to shoulder discipleship. We're, it's it can't be less than that ever. It has to be relational. The way Jesus did it, we're going to pour our lives into people grounded in the word, filled by the spirit in obedience to Jesus. Um, shoulder-to-shoulder discipleship. So let me, let me share with you something that you may have heard in, in uh, middle school math class. The teacher asks the student, if you have the choice between receiving $10,000 a day, okay, this is to seventh graders, right? So, and to you. If you have the choice of receiving, Seth, this is to you. If you have a choice between receiving $10,000 a day um, for 30 days, or getting one penny the first day, and having that doubled every day for 30 days? Which would you choose, sir? Uh, which would you choose church? Which would you choose seventh graders, right? So, $10,000 a day for 30 days, or one penny the first day doubled every day for 30 days? And of course, it's a setup. Most, Almost every kid picks $10,000 a day. It's overt, um, but they would be leaving about over $10 million on the table. Uh, at the end of the time, the first option, you get $300,000. Hey, I can get a Corvette with that. Maybe put it down, payment down in a house. Or if I'm thinking like a kid, like unlimited candy for the rest of my life. rot, rot all my teeth out, right? Um, but the number for the penny, doubled every day for 30 days, is $10 million, $737,418.23. You're leaving over $10 million on the table. Why? Multiplication. Let me put it into terms, church terms, okay? We... We kind of know that, but we still are missing it as a church. I'm not saying we, the the Western church, right? 1,000, if a pastor's offered, Pastor Bob, he's offered 1,000 people in his church. And when I say that, most people think, and this shows you where we are, in his church, what do you think of? Sunday morning, in the seats, listening for an hour and a half, right? Okay, that's not, that's part of who we are, but most of who we are is we are the church. We don't go to church, right? We are the church. So 10,000, 1,000 people. Um, every month for 30 years I'm going to bring 1,000 people to your church every month for 30 years. Or you're going to disciple, you get the choice between these two. You're going to disciple, make one disciple per year who's then going to go do the same. Okay, that's the key. That person is then going to go do the same and everyone they disciple is going to do the same for 30 years. You make one disciple a year. Okay, given the choice between, I'll add 1,000 people to your church every month for 30 years or you can choose one disciple to be made by you Per year, and they all do the same. Okay? Um, Again, the church has mainly picked the first option, but what would they be leaving on the table is about over a billion disciples. This, my friends, is the power of multiplication, and it's the power of the Great Commission, which is not called the Great Suggestion, it's the Great Command. So moving slowly, with help, prayerfully, over time, consistently, over time, non-flashy, it's not flashy, it's relational. Over time, together, working, bettering the process through prayer, et cetera, et cetera, of, of actually going and focusing on being made a disciple and making disciples and turning that flywheel together. That's what we're going to be about. Um, finally, just these are men, verse 6, who turn the world upside down. And I just want to say, don't you want that? It can happen again. It doesn't just have to be in the history books. It doesn't just have to be 2,000 years ago. It is happening all over the world today in almost everywhere but the West, in Antarctica. <laughs> Maybe it's happening there too. I doubt it. But every other place, Africa, the Far East, South America, okay, and on it goes, it's happening. Um, and and we and it has been happening in revivals over history. Uh, I want what we see here to happen here today, and I just want to say simply why not. I guarantee you it's something that God greatly desires once for his people, um, rooted in the word, filled by the spirit, going out, proclaiming the gospel, and being about the business of making disciples who make disciples, right? Um, And I'm encouraged by a few scriptures, as I I close down, and I'll tell you a story, from even from Paul. um, So Ephesians 6, Paul, at the end of that beautiful letter to the church at Ephesus, which I believe is one of the churches that he hits at the end of this, um, after he goes to um, Berea and then Athens is he says to the, to the Ephesian church, pray that I would speak boldly. A- after he lists out the, the fact that our, our battle is spiritual, not physical, and he lists out the armor, he says, pray for me too, that I may preach boldly, which is what? Fill in the blank. How I ought to speak, I heard you. What is, what's, what's he saying there? He's saying, even Paul needs our prayers, the prayers of the church, to preach without fear, boldly. Even Paul the lion He was a lion because of the Holy Spirit. He was born again because of the Holy Spirit. He was set ablaze because of the Holy Spirit. He was rooted in the word because of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you indeed are in Christ. You have the very same word of God. You are the church. We have the plan. Jesus Christ is interceding at the right hand of God the Father for you. And we want to see this again. So even Paul needed boldness. And then Acts 4, what what do we see with the church? They, they preached, they were persecuted, and then what do they do? They hit their knees and they started praying, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The room shook, and what, what happens after that? They prayed for boldness. They were filled with the Spirit, not for salvation. They were all saved. They were all Christians for boldness to witness, and they go out, propelled out from there again to preach the Word and to see some, some rejection but some acceptance, and then disciples made, churches planted, elders appointed, and on it goes, okay? You are part of this story. I want you to feel the, I want you to feel unity with the narrative of the march of God through Jesus Christ, through his church. You are part of that story. I am part of that story. We have been called for such a time as this. Um, so back to the film that I started with, Man on Fire. He was, John Creasy was, he went from being just down and out and sort of listless and directionless to being a man on fire because of his love for PETA. Because what? As his friend, Creepy Christopher, said, um, she showed him that it was okay to live again. And what Paul understood is something that we must as well and can, and I think a lot of us do, which is that Jesus didn't just show Paul it was okay to live again. He gave his life for Paul all the way to hell. For someone who hated him, who was his enemy, he loved us to death. He took all of the wrath of God, that we justly deserve, on himself, and he paid it, and he was buried, but then three days later, he rose, and this, this changed Paul's life, and this set him going outward, a man ablaze, reason on fire, and I pray it does the same with us. Let me just close with this story of a man named Larry Walters. Um, I read about this in a, in a great book by J.D. Greer called um, Gaining, uh, Losing... Gaining by, <laughs> thank you. Gaining by, things you don't write down in your notes because you think you'll remember them. Gaining by Losing. It's really, that's the catchy title. It's really more aptly, it would be Gaining by Sending. That's the idea, right? It's a great book. I would recommend it. If it hasn't been one of our books of the month, it probably will be next week, next month. Um, gaining by Losing, and he tells this story. I've heard it before, but let me retell it for you. Um, Larry Walters, real, true story. Larry Walters, uh, he, Southern California. Got bored one day and had to way too much time on his hands and decided to go to the closest Army-Navy surpl- Army surplus store, and he bought 75 weather balloons, and he tied them to a lawn chair, his lawn chair, and he sat in that lawn chair, and he tied his lawn chair firmly with ropes to the, his pickup truck, and he had only three things in that lawn chair. He had a BB gun and a six-pack of beer, and that's, it. that's actually it. <laughs> BB got in a six pack of beer What else do you need? Oh, I think he had a PB&J Three things He had a PB&J that he had made for himself In case he got hungry And he um, His friends He had his friends cut the rope At the right time And um, Next thing he knew He was back down on the ground What happened is that He was at 16,000 feet uh, spot Unidentified flying object Spotted by a 747 Boeing pilot and his literal words to the tower were, I, it seems to be a man in a lawn chair holding a rifle. Uh, he was brought back down. Uh, he was lassoed somehow by flying aircraft and brought safely back down to ground. For those of you that are interested, he passed out at 2,000 feet. Uh, and um, his friends cut the rope. And as soon as they cut the rope, he had the BB gun because his idea was, well, I'll just I'll shoot um, some balloons until I'm kind of hanging out in the air and I'll just float at a few hundred feet over the ground. And what happened is that when they cut the rope, he was like his friend said he was like a man shot out of a cannon. Remember I told you I'd bring you back to that? He was like a man shot out of a cannon and he, uh, he passed out at 2,000 feet. And he said, before he passed out, he said, well, I, I did the only thing I knew how to do, which is I, I, I popped open a beer. <laughs> so he at least got one beer down before passing out. And uh, he was brought back down. He was fined $4,500, and he got it reduced to $1,500 for, you know, airspace. Yeah, Peter's in the back, nodding his head like that guy deserved every ounce of what he got. Yeah, um, he was fined. He got it lowered, and uh, for disturbing airspace. And there were three questions that were asked him by a local journalist. Number one, um, <laughs> number one is, were you scared? Yes. And that's not what he said. He said a lot of other words that I'm preaching a sermon, so I'm not going to say here. (laughs) Question two, would you ever do this again? No. Question three, why? $64,000 question. Larry, Larry Walters, dear Larry, why did you do it? Okay. And what did he say? He said, well, I got tired of just sitting around. Friends, my dear friend, we have a blueprint here. We have a Savior here who is reigning and who is in our hearts. We have a Holy Spirit, okay? Let us be by God's grace and power and through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, a people who once again see the world turned upside down. I believe he wants to do it until he returns. Let's be a people who go out, who are, hey, like people shot out of a cannon, who are willing to be both accepted and rejected for the name of Christ, who put, who put his, uh, our identity with him over wanting to be liked. Okay, He deserves the glory. Um, may he get it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul Thank you for heroes of the faith throughout history who, in many ways, in all the ways that count, were just like us, sinners saved by the work of another, by the blood of another, by the love of another, by your love, given to us and shown us manifestly in your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Fill us, Holy Spirit, make us a people shot out of a cannon. Um, Lord, um, not just sitting around, but going after people for the sake of your great name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.